everybody should have a white handout. Mine has some stuff on it, writing, but yeah, it's two pages or one and a eighth or something like that, and uh, nothing on the back. Just flip the page for page two. And uh, <coughs> can you hear me okay? Yes. Good, okay. Uh, we've been looking, Sheila and I were talking, we've been in uh, Colossians forever. And, uh, <laughs> I actually have the dates at home, but uh, it's been a while. But I really wanted to go slowly. I did this once before, uh, 20 years ago. And I wanted to go slowly and really look at every aspect of this. Um, so if you welcome to everybody, welcome to online, to you folks that are online watching. We're glad you're with us. Welcome to everybody here this morning. Uh, if people come in late, uh, remind them to get a handout. And uh, we are looking at angel worship. If you see over on the left-hand side, that Paul's warnings against heresy, chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. There are four warnings. The longest was false philosophy. It really went into a lot of detail. And then uh, we looked at legalism last two weeks. And uh, we're looking at angel worship today, verses 18 and 19. And um, next week, special announcement, uh, I won't be teaching Sunday school, and I didn't get a chance to ask the pastor who was teaching. All right. Oh, Steve's teaching. You got a good teacher for a change. Good. All right. Glad, glad for that. Um, Cindy and I are going to take a vacation this week. Uh, she works, I don't. But, uh, <laughs> she's going to get to take a vacation this week, a well-deserved vacation. And uh, we're going to uh, just, we were going to go to Camp Richardson, but their water failed them or something. Uh -huh. They have a boil order going. And then, uh, so we thought we didn't want to take a chance of that. So we, we're going to just take some day trips and go do some fun things. And, uh, Maybe go to um, Cal Fair's big trees and stuff like that. So, and help California's economy and be tourists. <laughs> um, so, let's have a word of prayer. And, um, Steve, would you lead us in prayer? Thank you, sir. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful to be in your house this morning to worship you, Lord, exalt you, just to give you praises, Lord. Amen. May our mind be settled with the power of the Spirit, Lord, that we may understand the truth of your word. And then, Lord, we think of ourselves, Lord. It's easy to hear. It's not always easy to obey. Help us to be doers of the word as well. Be with Scott as he presents a lesson, Lord. Help our mind and our heart to the power of the Spirit to illuminate our minds, Lord, that we may understand fully, Lord, what you expect out of us in life, Lord, that we may live lives that are godly, to be more Christ-like. We may be witnesses to those around us, Lord. Lord, thank you for your son, his death, bone, resurrection. We just pray for those that are sick and afflicted, Lord, we raise them up. There's many, many on our list, Lord. And then we think of those who are not here, they're traveling or whatever, Lord, be with them. For those that couldn't come for one reason or another, we just pray, Lord, that the Spirit would convict them about being in your house, being able to gather together, that we may fellowship together. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Um, now, I encourage everybody to turn to Colossians 2, and uh, we're going to read verses 18 and 19, and 
actually she was going to read verses 18 and 19, but she was getting a handout so for somebody. So if you'll turn to Colossians 2, verses 18 and 19, she will read in just a moment. And after that, Steve's going to read uh, verses 20 through 23, but first 18 and 19. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary, voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, including interventions which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministers, and mixed together, increaseth with the with the, with the increase of God. And verse twenty through twenty-three. <laughs> see, this is for next week. Uh, week after that. <laughs> uh, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, you are are you are ye subject to its ordinances? Mm -hmm. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and the doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in, in will. Indeed, a show of wisdom and will worship, and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to be the satisfying of the flesh. So those verses are on asceticism, and actually embedded in our verse 18 is asceticism as well. So if you realize when we finish verse 23, we will have completed two chapters in Colossians. Hooray, hooray. Yeah, we've been going slowly. Uh, and one and two, I think, is uh, more, uh, well, it's more doctrinal. And then three and four is more uh, practical. And four contains a lot of uh, wishes to other people uh, as he greets them in the letter as well. So we would, I think we would have covered more material in one and two than we will in three and four. So, uh, I have a quote for you. We've been persevering in our study, and I've kind of um, <coughs> poked fun at myself for going so slowly with this. But I did, what, what's the hurry? Let's do it right. Anyway, so I have this quote from Warren Wearsby. Warren Wearsby is a, a pastor at Moody, and uh, he said, and this, uh, this quote, um, is about persevering and also it talks about a key word that starts out with a, about a key word that in Colossian that we, we talked about so this is a reminder so he says the word fill pleroma remember that we've used that several times the word filled as a key word in Colossians it also was a key word in the teachings of the false teachers who had invaded the Colossian church. Paul used it many times, and the word complete is also the same one, filled full. The word carries the idea of being fully equipped, and it was used to describe a ship that was ready for a voyage. The believer has in Christ all that he needs for the voyage of life, and you are complete in him, Colossians 2.10. Mm -hmm. 
And this is found, that word found either filled or uh, complete in ch chapter 1, verse 19, verse 25, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, chapter 4, verse 12 and 17. So it's really a theme. And it's a word that the heretics used and uh, uh, in the... Um, he uses this word uh, to, as he often does. He takes the word and uses it back against the false teachers. Now, regarding patience, uh, he said too many Christians have a tendency to quit when circumstances become difficult. The Dr. Raymond Edmond, who was late president of Wheaton College in Illinois, this is back in the 80s, uh, used to remind the students, it's always too soon to quit. Now, you know, if I get frustrated with something, I just want to quit and come back to it. But this saying to the students was, it's too soon to quit. I have often thought of that statement when I find myself in the midst of trying circumstances. It is not talent or training that guarantees victory, it's perseverance. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Charles Spurgeon said that. So let's persevere in our study in Colossians. Let's not be weary and well-doing. Let's keep on and, and, and uh, see what the Lord would give us in this study. So I like that quote. I thought that quote was uh, a lot of fun. So by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Okay. Um, so we are looking at... Um, the warning against age of worship, um, and I put number three because angel worship is number three in the list of the four warnings. I didn't start with number one, I started with number three. So, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from whom all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So the warning starts with let no man beguile you of your reward. Now this word is the only use of the New Testament of this word. It means it was used. Now how many of you I used to watch football before it became political, and uh, they started doing demonstrations before, during, and after the game, and um, other things at halftime that weren't appropriate. So, uh, I, I was, as a young person, I was a, 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 a big fan of certain teams, and it was before they had the, the video replays, and the, the referees did, and the umpires did their absolute best, but the, the networks had coverage of your eyelash. I mean, they were just unbelievable what they could show. And, you know, they would show in slow motion the ball landing out of bounds, and they would call it inbounds. And I would stand up and, you know, <clears throat> make loud noises at the TV. <laughs> and I, I knew a guy, I remember walking past the guy's room in, in a, in a, um, quarters that we lived in where a whole bunch of flyers lived in 
and he picked up furniture and threw it at the TV, you know, because he was so upset because he, the poor players were defrauded with such a terrible call. And of course it was not important, but it seemed important to the fan at the time. And I remember being outraged by such an injustice. How in the world could they let themselves be robbed that way? And that was before all the appeals and everything. And they did clean a lot of that up. You know, the umpires can only do so much with all that going on. And they needed extra vision, you know, and so they would go over and they could see. So this is the only use of this word. And it means it was used reading from paragraph A under 3A, warning, let no man beguile you of your reward. It was used of an umpire in athletic events uh, making unfavorable decisions or judgment against an individual athlete. So it's rendered to rob uh, or condemn. The literal meaning is let no one act as an umpire against you. This is a metaphor. Let no one act as an umpire against you as in an athletic contest, giving an adverse decision. So Bruce, F.F. Bruce calls it, uh, let no one judge you. Paul is saying, let no one deny your claim to be genuine Christians um, as a result of judging them on some other basis than Christ alone. That's what that, um, um, they, remember, there were people that were trying to get them to be legalistic and trying to do other things other than trust in Christ alone. Because that would be robbing them of their reward, their Christianity, their blessings in Christ, their eternal rewards by luring them into angel worship and a system which MacArthur calls, and I love this term, irrational mysticism. The mysticism is already irrational. You know, it's all emotion and, and who knows, <laughs> made up stuff, and cunningly devised fables. And uh, so this is actually a stronger verse of uh, emphasis as that's in verse 16. Let, verse 16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day of the new moon or the Sabbath days, etc., which are a shadow of things to come, but but the substance is of Christ. So he's saying here, let no one act as an umpire and just as my favorite team would get robbed in the Super Bowl and make me never want to watch football ever again because of the horrible injustice of it. This is a real injustice. And so a false teacher comes and tells them that they need to do uh, either works or they need to worship angels or they're not doing the right thing and they try to distract them from the truth and get them diverted and Paul says don't let anyone rob you like that don't let anyone beguile you like that um, MacArthur says Paul warns the Colossians not to follow the false teachers to cheat and defraud them of their blessings or their eternal reward. And he gives a scripture, 2 John. Um, 2 John only has one chapter, but chapter, verse 8. I'm going to read 6 through 8 and listen to this. And this is love, that we walk after his, Christ's commandments. And this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, 
you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. So here's verse 8. Look to yourselves. In other words, watch out. Look to yourselves. That we lose not those things which we have wrought, or those things we have accomplished together, but that we receive a full reward. He's saying, watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we've accomplished together, but he wants them to receive a full and complete reward when he grants rewards to faithful believers. So MacArthur goes on to say, say that <clears throat> don't let anyone cheat or defraud them of temple, uh, of their blessings or eternal reward by luring them into irrational mysticism. I'm going to talk later about what mysticism is. Uh, I don't know that you can define it. It's very hard to define it. Since the false teachers took great delight in that, and these words uh, reflect, uh, um, there's a sense of the fact uh, that they, the false teachers took great delight in, 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 the, in this teaching them this um, angel worship or mysticism that their self-abasement was actually pride, not humility, which God hates. And the worship of angels. The beginning of a heresy here was to plague this region around Colossae for years and years and years and years. And the Bible clearly prohibits uh, angel worship. And let's look at um, the worship, or rather uh, the visions. They had, they delighted in, in, and we're going to talk a little bit about I'm moving slightly ahead because of the, the, uh, that was the warning and means and message of the false teachers I'm going to talk a little about. So this quote kind of transitions both of these in 18. So like MacArthur says, like virtually all cults, all people that are false teachers that teach something other than Christianity, all cults and false religions, the Colossian false teachers based their teaching on visions and revelations they had supposedly received. That's, that's the flavor of mysticism. That's a hallmark of mysticism. Their claims were false since Jesus Christ is God's final and complete revelation to mankind. False visions and dreams and all those things are wrong. It's Christ is our revelation of, the, of God to mankind. Colossians 2, 3, I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. Colossians 2, verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted. This sounds familiar. We, we, we did this. Being knit together in love unto all the riches of the full assurance of, of, the, of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom. So that in whom are hid. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you 
that word is different from our word that we're looking at today. Uh, this word means to delude um, and to deceive and to falsely reason, uh, to beguile, deceive them with enticing words, verse 5 of chapter 2. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Christ was God's revelation to us. Amen. Okay, and in Hebrews 1 and 2, we're talking about God's final, complete revelation to mankind. Hebrews 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, that's essentially diverse manners, many manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days God spoke to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So the revelation of God is through Christ, who being Christ, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power which he had himself which he had by himself purged, excuse me, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty of on high. Now, in that chapter, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, uh, is comparing Christ with other things. And he compares him to the angels in verse 4 in this passage. Being made so much better, Christ was made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For under, for under which of the angels said he at any time? Which of the angels did God say, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. None of the angels he said that to. And he goes on and he says in verse 6, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, And let all the angels of God worship him. So Christ is greater than the angels. Amen. And we don't worship the angels. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ and God. Um, the angels worship him as well. So to make sure we have that right. And then finishing out uh, the quote here from MacArthur, he's, he mentions the fleshly mind at the end of verse 18. Uh, Let no man beguile you or rob you of your reward and a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That person intruding is the false teacher. And the false teacher is the one that um, puffed up and, uh, and has a fleshly mind. Now that word means uh, uh, the, it means fleshly, sensuous mind. Uh, and it means the seat or sinful, the seat or center of sinful desires. So, and those things, um, sensuous mind is reflected in Ephesians. Um, 
417, which Chuck is going to read for us. Thank you, sir. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness, all cleanliness, uncleanliness with greediness. And that is the hallmark of a fleshly mind. Thank you for reading that. Okay, so let's look back <coughs> at the paragraph B, number three, just past the middle of the page. The means, this is the means of robbing or the message of the false teachers. A voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. They wanted the Colossians to worship angels and uh, the Hebrews had this kind of thing where they were enamored with the with the angels and there was a tendency to kind of do that um, the, the heretical teachers were falsely insisting I'm reading from that paragraph upon a, a self-imposed or voluntary humility uh, self-abasing and self-mortification the term is actually kind of complex um, this is how it's usually rendered uh, and this this humility was a false humility a mock humility a fake humility that was associated with also reflected in these words as a delight they delighted in worshiping angels and not Christ um, and also this asceticism which is a term for harsh treatment of the body you see those guys whipping themselves and they have these parades overseas and they're just whipping themselves and climbing up grass covered glass covered steps of some cathedral and just crazy things that were incredibly difficult and you know the nails lying on the bed of nails and pinning yourself with uh, all kinds of pins and just uh, horrible things. Uh, that's asceticism. And so asceticism included here as part of, I call it physical self-abuse, oppression, and personally, personal bodily harm as a prideful attempt. What they're trying to do is subdue the flesh. If I beat the flesh down, I'm going to be able to win favor with God. God will like me beating my flesh down. <coughs> Excuse me. Gnostics may have also connected the worshiping of angels with um, um, humility, falsely believing that they were pridefully being more humble and worshiping angels than worshiping the one true God. And we know that the Bible tells us, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I have a. Harry Ironside is one of my favorites uh, commentators because he's really down to earth. And actually, I did not realize until just in the last 10 years or so that he, he actually started in San Francisco. He had a church in San Francisco and even in the um, early 1900s, I can't imagine 
having a church in San Francisco uh, <laughs> somehow, but uh, the Lord has the remnant always. And he, he addresses this in just a very personable uh, way and understandable way. So I want to read this. So bear with me on this quote, okay? Um, imagine anyone praying to saints and angels, adoring their images. These people are praying to saints and angels, adoring the images, because they often have these idols up. You know, with solemn words before the person worshiping of this 18th verse, let no man beguile your reward in a voluntary humility and the worshiping of angels, uh, intruding into those saints which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now, how striking the contrast between the expressions of voluntary humility and vainly puffed up. Now, he's going to give an example here. This is going to touch on some people's toes. But I'm going to read what the commentary says, okay? Mm -hmm. I recalled a friend of my youth, a very gracious, kindly man who had been brought up from his childhood in Roman communion. He means Roman Catholicism. With whom I often sought to reason out the scriptures in order to show him the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. I remember when I asked why he prayed to the blessed Virgin Mary, instead of directly to our Lord Jesus Christ, how with an air of the greatest humility he answered, Oh, I am too sinful, too utterly unworthy to go directly to our blessed Lord. He is infinitely above me, so pure and holy. His majesty is so great that I would not dare to prostrate myself before him. But I know that no one has such influence with a son as his mother, and I know, too, that a pure woman's tender heart feels for sinners and their sorrows and failures. Therefore, I go to the Virgin Mary and pour my heart to her as to my own mother, and I plead with her to speak for me to her holy, spotless son, speaking of Christ. And I feel sure that she will influence him, that is Christ, as no other could. He goes on to say, Now this sounds like lowliness of mind and humility of spirit. It really is the most subtle kind of pride, for it involves proposing to be wiser than the revealed word of God. The Bible tells us, as we have seen, and we read of the only medi one mediator between God and man, and we learn that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, that He bore our sins in His own body on the tree, and that His tender heart was filled with compassion for sinners here on earth. None were too vile or degraded, but that they were invited to come to Him. The worst His enemies could say of Him, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And up there yonder in yonder glory, he is the same Jesus he was here on earth. We may rest assured we have a high priest. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. That's a double negative. That means he is touched by our infirmities. 
but one who was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin, and who is able to succor, that means to help, to comfort, to relieve, those who are tempted. In his name we are bidden to come boldly to the throne of grace that we have may obtain mercy and find grace and help. Why turn aside to angels or saints, however devoted, or even to Mary herself, when we go directly to him? Assured of his deep interest in all that concerns us, we he made intercession for transgressors on the cross up there at God's right hand. Now he ever lives to make intercession for those who trust in him. And so it is not an evidence of humility to flip in the page here. Flipping the wrong page here. <laughs> so it is not more humble to say, I am too unworthy to go to Christ. It's only unbelief that would lead one to speak that way. He stands, the Lord Jesus Christ, stands with his arms outstretched, pleading with those who are in trouble or distress. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <coughs> what base, that means low, ingratitude to turn from him to any other person, thing, or anything else. What amazing folly to think it necessary to have anyone speak for me to Christ. When he stands there showing his wounded hands and saying, peace be unto you. It's only pride and unbelief that would put him off at a distance and bring angels in between. That pretty direct. I wanted to share that with you even though it was long because those that pray to someone else thinking that they have influence with Christ and too quote unquote humble to go to him are wrong. They have a wrong understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ um, and they're thwarting grace. Um, okay, so Paragraph C, messenger or manner. This is the messenger, the false teacher, and the manner of the false teacher. Intruding into those things which the false teacher has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And intruding in, into means to dwell in or to frequent. Uh, here it has a sense of the false teacher taking his stand upon... I have in parenthesis imaginary and alleged visions. He states these without proof, on which he bases his false teaching and doctrines. And I quoted a, a scholar named Dargan who says, he harps, that means to go over and over and over and over and over and over and drive you crazy. He harps upon his visions, telling more than he or anybody else can prove. Uh, he goes into much detail about what he has seen excessively. Um, now, I wanted to look at, this was a good place I thought to look at what mysticism is. So mysticism is difficult to define because it's so 
mystical and elusive and not based on facts. So it's defined as the experience of mystical union or direct communion with, this is not on your handout, this is, I, I looked it up, mystical union or direct communion with, with, with God, um, they call the ultimate reality reported by mystics. And so what's an example of mysticism? It's so difficult to define, I thought I'd give you. So mysticism includes, but not, it's not limited to these things. Chanting of mantras, uh, you know, they get one thing and they chant it, sometimes they in another language. Meditation, prayer, dreams, uh, visions, experiences, um, and the observable behaviors displayed by one acting as a religious mystic include actions that would provide the individual with an experience where the person feels a oneness or a union with the divine. Okay. So, and it wrongly is the belief that direct knowledge, knowledge of God, spiritual truth, or ultimate reality can be attained through subjective experience such as intuition or insight, visions, dreams, experiences, feelings. Um, it's also known as a theory postulating the possibility of direct and intuitive acquisition of ineffable, I had to look that up, it means inexpressible or unutterable knowledge or power. So it's coming into, it's receiving direct revelation from God. We know that's been completed. Okay. Um, <coughs> I have a, that was from uh, Merriam and Webster, the dictionary, and this is from God Questions. And I wanted to read this because I thought it made some powerful points. Mysticism tends to elevate experiential knowledge what I know by what has happened to me uh, or what I've experienced and visions and dreams and um, secretive knowledge and they revel in the mysterious. They focus on mysticism for spiritual growth. In contrast, biblical Christianity focuses on knowing God through his word, the Bible and communion with the Holy Spirit through prayer. Mysticism tends to be an individual's subjective, secretive, elitist practice, whereas biblical Christianity is both an individual relationship with God and one that's necessarily lived out in the community of the church. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. There's no long rangers in Christianity. A long, uh, no long rangers. Um, mysticism can be found in many religions. A lot of times, often it involves asceticism of some type, the beating down of the flesh, and it seeks union with God. It is certainly right to want to draw closer to God, but mystical union with God is different from the type of intimacy to God that Christians are called to. Mysticism, mysticism tends to seek out the experience and is sometimes seen as secretive or elitist. You have to have special knowledge. You have to have special techniques. Special, uh, it's special. 
Uh, Christians are aware of and engaged in spiritual realities, and biblical Christianity involves spiritual experience, but the intimacy in Christ, our intimacy with God, is intended for all Christians and is not veiled by some sort of mystical practice or mysterious practice. Drawing near to God is nothing mysterious or elitist, but involves things like regular prayer, studying the Bible, worshiping God, fellowshipping with other believers, and coming to Sunday school. <laughs> Our efforts pale in comparison to the work God himself does in us and through us. In fact, our efforts are more a response uh, to his work than they are something that originates in us. Now, here he steps on some toes, and I agree. The charismatic movement with its emphasis on dreams and visions and feelings and experiences and new revelation is one form of Christian mysticism. Because we have God's completed word, we are not, that's N-O-T, we are not to seek after dreams and visions or extra revelation from God. God has already given us all we need in Christ and through those that wrote the Bible. Yes. That would include tongues. That would include what? Tongues. Tongues, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, experiential kinds of things. Yes. Thank you. It's vital to remember that anything a Christian experiences must line up with truth of the Bible. God will not contradict himself. He's not the author of confusion. God is certainly beyond our full comprehension, and there is much that is mysterious about him, but he has revealed himself to us. Rather than seek out mystical experiences, Christians should involve themselves in the things God has revealed to us. Um, Ephesians 1, 3-14 talks about spiritual blessings in Christ. In part, that passage says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach your fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. God has revealed mystery. All God's mysteries are revealed and calls us faithfully to walk in his ways as he completes his plan. Um, okay, let us move on and look at the last sentence on the bottom of page one. Vainly, the false teacher is vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. That, that really shows Paul's assessment uh, and, of the false teacher. Puffed up is from the word in Greek, bellows, you think. Well, how do you get puffed up from bellows? Well, you know when you do that, you know the black, the black uh, smith does that, and all that air comes in there and, and the fire blows up. And also, when you blow up a balloon, you, you do that, and it, and, it, and it blows up the balloon. Uh, and it means to blow up, puff up, or inflate. And that's the picture of conceited, prideful, false teacher. That's what Paul vainly puffed up. Putting your chest out there. That's right. Putting that chest out there. Oh. Uh, and so he had an elevated opinion of himself, and Paul said... Uh, that the word vainly means that he felt that was groundless, without reason. Uh, the fleshly mind is dominated uh, by un the unrenewed nature, the unregenerate nature, 
and is therefore a mind which lacks spiritual enlightenment. Bear, said that. And not holding the head, Paul states that the false teacher is not in union with Christ. He is disconnected. He is not capable of spiritual growth. Read from paragraph D, the last paragraph on page 2. From which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Without union with Christ, the head, the false teacher, cannot increase spiritually and the church also cannot grow apart from Christ. So, um, so okay. yes, sir. So it sounds like that as Christians, we should rationalize uh, spiritually. I mean, call it mystery or call it the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, the Bible is going to teach us yeah. how to follow and believe as Christians. Yes. Uh, to believe. So it, it can be a mystery, but through the Holy Spirit and study, we can make sense of it and and follow yes. the life of the, the mystery, The mysteries are, are revealed in the New Testament. The things that weren't known in the Old Testament are now revealed. Uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament uh, revealed. Mm -hmm. so, and the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. So, very good. Perfect. Um, Vaughn has said in verse 18, uh, verse 19 rather, here the assertion is that the false teacher lacks vital contact with Jesus Christ. This is profoundly serious because it is from Christ as a head that all the body, the church, is being supplied and knit together through the joints and bands, increases with the increase of wrought by God. Each believer is thought of as forming a vital connection with Christ the head. And thus joined to him, they all become the joints and ligaments by which the whole body, the church, is in contact, uh, is supplied with energy and life. The heretical teacher, without this contact with Christ, cannot possibly contribute to the growth of the church. So Paul makes it really clear. Um, and... Charles Erdman um, talks about this. He said, there's always been mystics of a very different character. They make claims to supernatural visions and revelations. They profess to communicate with unseen spirits. They glory in systems of occult science that's satanic oriented. They claim a direct knowledge of the divine, which only the initiated can attain since there were since such were the false mystics against whom Paul warns the Colossians he describes them in four graphic phrases let no man rob you of your prize he writes referring to the Christians immortal crown by a voluntary humility and worshiping of the angels these mystics were characterized then first of all by a species of mock humility was voluntary and self-conscious, thus unreal, expressed in worshiping angels as represented, representatives of God and thus uh, and was thus alleged to be less presumptuous than the direct worship of God, as though he were too high to be worshipped by men. Yet to, refu to refuse God's appointed way of approach through Christ was really presumptuous pride. 
It was like saying, no, God, I don't want to go to Christ. I want to go to Mary. I know better. The second thing is, besides robbing you of your prize, the second phrase is, they were described as dwelling in the things which he have seen or have not seen. This reference uh, is to the alleged divisions which contain, uh, that probably contains a touch of irony. Uh, Paul indicates that the pretended revelations on which this false, false teacher laid much stock were unreal. He was living in a world of hallucinations and deceptions. And this fairly describes most leaders of occult science, of theosophy, and esoteric systems of belief. And the third uh, phrase is, it pictured the unwarranted conceit of the proud mystic. Uh, he was vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, mind. By vainly, Paul means without reason or without ground. He is puffed up or inflated by his senseless pride. His boasted insight is fleshly and carnal. Therefore, instead of having attained a higher level, his intelligence is dominated by that which is material and secular and unspiritual. And lastly, and worst of all, the last part of the uh, heretical teacher is the worst, he says. It may have been the cause or possibly the result of the other three. He is described, false teacher is not, is described as not holding the head, the head being Christ. His dependence upon ceremonies or his mystical speculation as to superhuman spirits has resulted in his losing, if he ever had it, uh, a grasp upon Christ. This is inevitable. It is far too common. Such a loss is fatal. Only by holding fast the vigorous, only holding fast the head can one attain a deeper spiritual insight or more vigorous spiritual life, for it is Christ from whom all the body being supplied and knit together through the joints and bonds increases with the increase of God. That's growing with the growth of God. Thus, two results of holding fast to Christ are noted. First, unity, and second, sustenance, that is, feeding for growth, support. Both of these were being sacrificed by trusting in a ritual and the, by the worshiping of angels. The Colossian heretic was claiming a great spiritual advance, but in reality, he was growing spiritually weak. He was proud of his little group of intellectual aristocrats, crats, but he was actually, he was actually severing himself from them, the body of Christ. He goes on to sum it up by saying the life of the church, true church, both its source and its character is divine. It is therefore evident why Paul so earnestly warns the Colossians against any ritual or observance or mystic speculations which might lessen their allegiance to Christ. So, our time is up. Uh, is there any questions? Are there any questions? Yes, sir. Um, so, you know, there are there are women in my life and men and, and people in my life that I appreciate and I want to listen to them and I want to respect them. But then it's limited to to, to that. It's always God and Jesus that comes we need to put ahead 
like you know, I, I appreciate Mary because she was the mother. Oh, of course, Jesus yeah, and yeah. did a wonderful job. Yeah, you know, uh, raising him. But to go on and say that she, I can't communicate with Jesus or God because I want to put her first or something. But I can still express an appreciation for her. You know. Well, I had a quote, another quote I didn't read from the time that they actually, actually came to associate. Uh, Mary as a co-redeemer with Christ and actually late later uh, in decided that Mary was also immaculately conceived right. and uh, when you hear about the you know you hear those schools called the Immaculate Conception that's not about Christ it's about Mary being immaculately conceived which is truly heresy and so Mary like everyone else of us, except for Christ, was with sin. He was a sinner. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, uh, Christ alone. And, uh, you know, there are others that preach and help us to understand, but um, we have to go back and check their words with the Bible to make sure that they're telling us the truth. So, let's, yes, Sheila. I just, I, I'm glad you explained, read that man's letter or whatever um, because that explained to me why they think that way that, that's what helped it's a satanic thing to subvert anything they can do to subvert the importance of Christ and get people away from Christ to come up cunningly devised fables because I always thought that's why did they do that <laughs> I don't it's because the Holy Spirit's enlightening us, but it's not enlightening them or they're rebelling. So, yeah. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word. Thank you so much for this book of Colossians, which, which um, you um, helped Paul, um, wrote through Paul, your spirit wrote through Paul, that not only to help the Colossians, but to help us today. Lord, may we not get distracted away from the Lord Jesus Christ. May we put him first in our life and serve him and rely upon him only. May we not get distracted by ritual observance. Uh, Lord, let us focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and your word through the power of the Spirit that we may glorify you. We pray for those that couldn't be with us. We pray for your healing hand, for those who are traveling, their safety, pray that you would be with all those that are watching from home pray for your encouragement for those that are sick and weak and ailing and hurt. Pray you bless the service to follow in Jesus' name. Amen.